0: Hey there, thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Risen King. I'm I'm Danny. Um, So this is week three of the Abide series. Uh, The first week, Pastor Mike gave just a kind of a general overview of what it means to abide in Jesus. Last week, he gave like the most fun talk on pruning. Yes, right? Pruning is the best. And uh, week three today, we're going to talk about what exactly does it mean to abide in Jesus Christ alone. Now, before we do that, Let's read the scripture together, shall we? I love it when we all read together. So today's reading is from verse 1 through 7. Here we go. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes. That a mare bear more fruit, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I am new. and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So my first phone ever was freshman year in college. It was a Nokia 8210 in that hot blue color right there. You like that? Yeah, yeah, it was, I I was part of VoiceStream, you remember VoiceStream? That was before T-Mobile, yeah, VoiceStream, yes, it was like the cheapest plan you could possibly get, because I was a poor college student, I needed that. So let me just share some advanced technological features of Nokia 8210. One, it can make phone calls, ooh, it can text, ah, it can store up to, get this, 250 phone numbers, boom! Yes! Who has 250 friends? I don't know, but you can store all that. And the kicker, this phone came preloaded with the snake game. Oh yes! You know what I'm talking about. A source of great joy and frustration my freshman year in college. Now clearly, clearly, Phones have come a long way since the Nokia A210. Now, I thank the good Lord for Steve Jobs and Apple because in 2007, they made the iPhone. Woo! No? I'm the only one? Wow. No one ever booed me before like that. Anyways, um, <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. After the original iPhone, they completely changed the game, right? For many, many years, I think there's only been two phones that have really been kind of fighting for the best phone title. It's really, honestly, if you're a tech guy like me, you know, it's basically between the Apple iPhone and the Samsung Galaxy. That's it, really. That's like the two best phones, always trying to like fight it out. Summer of 2016, Samsung released their latest phone, the Note 7. This guy was supposed to be the phone that killed the Goliath. This is the one that was supposed to topple the iPhone off the mountaintop. Early reviews were great. Gorgeous display, best camera on the market, faster processor than the iPhone, better storage space, better. Ba- I mean, everything about the phone was supposed to be better than the iPhone. But just a week or two after this phone was released, there were reports of this thing exploding. Do you remember that? Right? Uh, One report said it it caught fire in a dude's pants, like hot pants, literally hot pants, (laughs) literally, right? There was another report of this thing blowing up in an airplane. It got so bad that airlines banned this phone from their planes. It was a health hazard. As it turns out, the explosions were caused by a defective battery. And um, this is so sad. After just two months... Just two months after Samsung released this phone, they had to discontinue it. And they recalled every single model. I tried to research on Google how much money they lost. One report said $5 billion. Another report said $17 billion. A lot of money, right? They lost a ton of money. So what's the point in me sharing about the Samsung Galaxy Note 7? Clearly, you should buy an iPhone. Have you heard an iPhone battery explode? I don't think so. (laughs) Hashtag Tim Cook. Anyways, um, no, no, no. Seriously, what's the point? Here's my point. Friends, what you connect your life to, it matters. What you connect your life to matters. Because you see, Samsung, they had everything lined up to make this thing right here a killer. The best of the best phones. Right, they had the best display, best processor, best storage capacity. But because it was connected to a faulty source of power, because it was connected to a defective, broken battery, it ruined the entire phone. On now, make it I'm going to try. <laughs> Friends, what you connect to matters. Or better yet, who you connect to matters. And I believe this is what Jesus is talking about in John 15. He's saying to his disciples, hey, who you abide in, it's a matter of life and death. It truly matters. Now before we really jump deeper into this text, let me just kind of set up the backdrop of John 15. Just two chapters prior in John 13, Jesus has the last supper. This is the last time he's going to hang out with his disciples, because he knows his end is coming. Have you ever been in the presence of someone who's about to die? Have you ever done that before? So because of my profession, I have, I mean, it really is an honor for me to spend time with, with people who who they know they're going to pass soon. And you know, one thing that I've noticed in the lives of those they know their end is near is that Frivolous things don't really seem to matter to them anymore, right? Like petty drama is like, whatever, not worth it. You know what I hear often? I I hear people often expressing regrets in life. Probably the one regret I hear the most is, I wish I spent more time with my loved ones. You know, when I'm with those folks, I hear often a lot of I love yous to their loved ones. I hear a lot of, I'm sorry to loved ones, right? When you know your time is near, your end is near, what really matters comes to the forefront. So Jesus, here we are with Jesus. In a few hours, not days, in a few hours, he knows he's going to be betrayed by Judas. A few hours. So what does he talk about with his disciples in those last few Hours. John 13, he says, love one another. He says, serve one another. In John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the what? The life. And he says, when I die, don't worry, man, I'm going to send you a helper, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and then right here in John 15, one of his last exhortations to his disciples, he says, abide in me. If you read John 15 in in, in its entirety, the first 10 verses, you know how many times he says, abide in me, or abide in my word? You know how many times? Ten times. So you think this matters to him? Yes. You better believe it. Oh, this is of much importance to Jesus. Abide in me. What does it mean to abide in Jesus? Now, before, before we dig really deep, I, I want to say two quick things to lay the groundwork, okay? First thing is this. To, in, in, the, in the original Greek language that this Bible was written in, the word abide is written in its imperative form. Listen, I know that sounds really geeky, but I got to share that, all right? Why is that important? Because in the imperative form, that's a command. When he says abide in me, he, he's not making a suggestion, friends. It's like, right. you're going to do this. So it's not like Jesus is saying, hey, disciples, so if you're cool with it, like, abide in me, right? Like, I mean, if you want, right? Like, YOLO, you know, like, I mean, is that what he's saying? No. He's saying, if you're my disciple, you're going to abide in me. Do it. Here's the second thing. Notice he doesn't say abide in me and. He doesn't say abide in me and your loved ones. Abide in me and your work. Abide in me and your retirement fund. Listen, abiding is not a combo deal, people. It's not a combo deal. He wants an exclusive abiding relationship with you. No one else can have you but him. He wants you, all for you. So so that's it. Let's just lay down the groundwork. Abiding is co- it's a command. It's exclusive. Now, I'm going to Two things about abiding I want to teach you today, and then we're going to go home. First is this. Say cling. cling. All right. And the second thing is trust. Say trust. 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 All right. The first is this. Cling to Jesus. The Greek word, again, for, uh, for abide is this word called meno. Can you say meno? Meno. All right. Now you know ancient Greek, people. All right. Uh, so meno. Now, unfortunately, things get lost in translation. The English word for meno is abide. Other translations say remain, but I've, it really just it misses the mark in capturing the depth of this word meno. Because you see, when you meno in Jesus, it means this: you hunker down, you double down, you are planting deep roots in Jesus. You are in depth, and I mean indefinitely. Saying I'm with you. That's Menno. So let me give you an example. In the summer of 1996, a movie came out called Twister. You remember this movie? With Helen Hunt and John Paxton? Anyone here not born in 96? Go, on. God bless you. All right. (laughs) Go on Netflix. It's probably on Netflix, right? Um, So Twister is a story about two tornado chasers. And uh, at the end of the movie, of course, right, uh, it's a movie, they encounter the mother of all tornadoes. Oh my gosh, this is the biggest tornado ever recorded to mankind. And of course, like all sane human beings, they drive towards it. Because <laughs> you know, that's what you do, you drive towards tornadoes, crazy people. And uh, you know, of course, all action movies need a climactic scene, and this is it. Helen Hunt, John Paxton's character, they drive towards the tornado and of course, duh, they realize, oh no, we're stuck, we can't run away, what do we do? (laughs) So they find themselves a pipe that is firmly rooted in the ground. They tie themselves to the pipe and they hang on for dear life. The tornado comes. The wind picks up cars. The wind picks up houses and just throws it around like it's nothing. In fact, in one scene, I I think there was a cow, right? Do you remember that? There was like a a cow strolling around. That's like the weirdest, I don't know, I don't know why they thought of that. And then obviously you see these two, like their bodies are levitating off the ground because the wind is sucking them in. And they're just like hanging on to that pike, dear, dear life, clinging to it that is one aspect of abiding in Jesus when life comes at you friends and you know it will if you're if you're not experiencing it now it's gonna come right when work stuff starts blowing up when relationships starts blowing up when your kids start really hating you when just everything around you is just falling apart and that dark voice in you is whispering to you, Jesus doesn't care. When that voice in you says, give up, what's the point? And you want to just run away as far as you can. Friends, abiding in Jesus is to hunker down it is to cling, to to tie yourself to Jesus and cling to Him for dear, dear life. Because friends, listen, when storms come, when tornadoes come, He is your only anchor. Amen? Because can we be honest? When you try to cling yourself to people, when you try to cling yourself to family, your kids, your job, whatever, whatever you think is your sense of security in life, you understand that those things get swept up in tornadoes too, right? But Jesus doesn't, amen? He doesn't, he's constant. That's why, gosh, that song Gabe sang, we will not be shaken, you kidding me? We will not be shaken in Jesus, amen? Amen. So turn to the person next to you and say, cling to Jesus. Jesus. Turn to the person to the other side. Say, cling to Jesus. Jesus. If you're not sitting next to anyone, say, cling to Jesus. Jesus. All right. Second aspect of abiding is this. Trust Jesus. And I define trust in two ways. Access and control. Access and control. I I like the message translation of this text. It says this. Verse 4. Live in me... Make your home in me, just as I do in you. Verse 9, I loved you the way my fathers loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. I like that. Make your home in me. I feel like that really captures the permanence of you residing in Jesus. Right? It really captures you settling down in one place. I'm hunkering down, right? I'm making my home in you, Jesus. And notice Jesus says, make your home in me as I in you. So he wants to make his home in you. So what does that mean? Friends, I believe abiding in Jesus means this. He wants to make his home in you. It's your saying, Jesus, I give you access and control over my home, my heart, my life. That's abiding. In 1951, a Presbyterian minister uh, out in California, his name was Robert Boyd Munger. He preached a sermon called My Heart, Christ's Home. Now, this thing became huge. Uh, InterVarsity Press picked this up, printed in many different languages. Tens of millions of copies of this have been distributed worldwide. I mean, this, this thing is huge. In this message, Munger talks about how Jesus desires to make his dwelling place, his home, in your heart, your life. And this is what he says. He said, without question, one of the most remarkable Christian doctrines is that Jesus Christ himself through the Holy Spirit would actually enter our heart, settle down or abide in and be at home there. Christ will live in any human heart that welcomes him. And so in a sermon, he goes to tell of how Jesus wants to make his home in my heart and he shares a story where he gave Jesus a tour of his house, his life. And in a sermon, he had nine rooms that he Toward Jesus through for the sake of time, and because I don't want to preach a two-hour sermon to you, I'm only going to share four rooms, okay? Four rooms. The first one is this, the library. Say library. Library. Munger calls this the control room of the house. This is the place where your beliefs and worldviews are shaped, molded, and formed. So Munger's you know, In a sermon, he said that you know, he felt pretty comfortable as Jesus was walking around his library, but quickly he said he started feeling embarrassed when he realized, oh man, look at those magazines and books and videos and DVDs lying around my library. Oh snap. <laughs> now listen, hear me. Let's not be legalistic, okay? I'm not saying if you like, watch CNN or Fox News that God's going to punish you. That's not what I'm saying. Please. Will God punish you just because you read People magazine? No. Of course not. Right? I mean, what if you read National Enquirer? Maybe. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's, that's weird. That's weird stuff. That's weird stuff. Um, but but that's my point. Friends, at the end of the day, is God's word your north star? Friends, is God's truth your moral compass? Friends, at the end of the day, does His word have the final say in how you live your life? Jesus said in verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Friends, what you connect your mind and your thoughts to matters. And can we just be honest with each other today? If you are not grounded in God's truth and word, you better believe you are grounded in something else. You better believe it's grounded in someone else. Munger said, I've discovered through the years that when my thoughts are centered on Christ, the awareness of his presence, purity, and power causes wrong and impure thoughts to back away. So Jesus has helped me to bring my thoughts under his control. Even though the struggle continues, and it will always continue, right? If you have difficulty with this little room of the mind, let me encourage you to bring Christ there. Pack it full with the word of God. Study it. Meditate it. Keep clearly before you the presence of the Lord Jesus. Friends, does Jesus have access and control over here? Does he have access and control over what you feed your mind? Does this word have the final say over how you live your life? If your answer is no, who has access? If the answer is no, what has access? What has control? The second room is a dining room, and quite honestly, my favorite room. Uh, (laughs) This is the room of appetites and desires. Munger says, this was a large room, a most important place to me. I spend a lot of time and hard work trying to satisfy all of my wants. So Munger, he he goes on, he says, uh, he's about to have food with Jesus. And Jesus asks him, hey, what's for dinner? And, And he says, my favorite dishes, Jesus, money, academic degrees, success, newspaper articles of fame and fortune aside, dishes. Yes, Yum. And so Munger's chowing down on his dinner and he looks to his side and realizes Jesus has not even touched his food yet. And so he asks him, what's the deal? What's going on? How come you're not eating? And Jesus says, if you want the food that really satisfies you, do the will of your Heavenly Father. Put his pleasures before your own. Stop striving for your own desires, your own ambitions, satisfactions. Seek to please him now that food will really satisfy you. Try a bit of it. Friends, who you connect your appetites and desires to matters. So can I ask you, does Jesus have access and control over your appetites and your desires? If not... Who does? If not, then what does? Third room. It's the family room. This is where friendships and relationships develop. Colin Powell said this, A mirror reflects a man's face, but what he is really like is shown by the kind of friends he chooses. And the next quote, quite honestly, I have no idea who said it, but I really liked it, so I'm sharing it with you, okay? <laughs> Tell me who your best friends are, and I will tell you who you are. If you run with wolves, you will learn to howl like a wolf. But if you associate with eagles, you will learn how to soar to great heights. (laughs) Friends, who you connect in deep friendships with matters. It matters. Can I just ask you just some questions right now? Do you have any friends in your life that are life-giving to you? And can we flip that back? Are you life-giving to someone else? Mm-hmm. Let's not be selfish, here. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have friends or friendships where you guys affirm and call out the best in each other yeah. instead of chopping each other down? Yeah. Do you have relationships where you encourage each other to walk in the light, to be a man of integrity, to be a woman of integrity? You call out the sin in each other's life with love, of course. Do you encourage each other to pursue the Lord with all your heart? Do you have any friendships like that? If your answer is no, then please hear me. Please hear me. Today, would you please give Jesus access and control over your relationships? Would you please? And would you ask him to teach you how to be a loving friend? Because in verse 12 of this chapter, Jesus says, Love one another as I have loved you. Could you just ask him, man, how do I be a good friend? Maybe, just maybe, maybe you may need new friends. I don't know. Who knows? Does Jesus have access and control over your relationships? And the last room. The hall closet. You know what's coming, people. As Jesus is walking through Munger's house, he notices a peculiar odor. It smells like something's dead in the house. Of course, Jesus being Jesus, he knows everything, right? Jesus realizes, oh, yeah, it's upstairs down the hall that closet he locked. That's the one. And so Munger says this, as soon as Jesus said this, I knew what he was talking about. Indeed, there was a small closet up there in the hall just a few feet square, in that closet behind lock and key, I had one or two little personal things I did not want anyone to know about. Certainly, I didn't want Christ to know them or see them. There were dead, rotting things left over from the old life. Not wicked, but not good to have in a Christian life. Yet, here's a part I love. I love them. I loved them. I wanted them so much for myself, I was afraid to admit they were there. Can we be honest? You may know the right Christian answer and be like, yeah, like, yeah, it's not good that I'm an angry person. It's, yeah, I understand. I, I'm, I shouldn't be looking at pornography. I know I, I, I shouldn't be, you know, doing this narcotic. I, I get that. Yeah, I want to give it up. But, the, but can we be honest? Do you really want to give it up? if I'm honest, the reason why I didn't break free from some of my vices in the past is because I just loved them too much. I just didn't want to give it up. Even though I knew the right Christian answer was, no, Jesus. But inside, I was like, yes. So after a lot of back and forth, Munger finally said, here's the key. Here's the key, Jesus, to that closet. And he makes a confession that I think all of us here can relate to. Munger says, Jesus, I don't have the strength and the power and the ability to clean that closet out. That's why it's been there. Friends, can I just be, again, can I just be really honest with you? How many times have I, in the past, have tried so often to no success? try to overcome my own personal vices on my own strength and ability? How many times have I tried to just like white knuckle, right? Just sheer willpower break through my addictions. Jesus says in verse 5, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. 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 Um, if you heard me preach last time I was here, you heard my testimony of my relationship with my dad. You remember that? Yeah. For those who weren't here, let me just kind of give you a quick little overview. You know, I grew up having a pretty crappy relationship with my dad. For almost all of my life, I, 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 um, I carried toxic, and I mean toxic bitterness, toxic anger against my father. I mean, it was so bad that like, I could literally be having the perfect day, and if I get a phone call and I see in the caller ID, Dad, my blood pressure would shoot up like that, I could feel my insides churning, and my day would suck for, throughout the day. I mean, it would just be a miserable day. That's how much I struggled with this. For 30 years, my best way to deal with it was just manage it. Behavior modification. You know what I'm talking about? That's the best tactic I had, and it never worked. Because whenever my anger flared up with my dad, which is basically every time I talked to him or saw him or was next to him, uh, it was like I tried to suppress it. You know that beach ball analogy? Put it, try to put it underwater, but it pops up somewhere else? I felt like I had three beach balls that I was trying to dunk underwater, but it just never works. And I'll be honest, friends. So, so many times, I act like a complete jerk to my dad. Capital J, jerk. And unfortunately, that spilled over to my mom. I was a jerk to mom. I was a jerk to my brother, David. I'll admit that. I own that. I didn't enjoy it. I I didn't get a kick out of being a complete you-know-what to them. I just didn't know how to change. I didn't know how to break free. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Now, I don't know why it took me so long to finally give my bitterness to Jesus, but when I did, things changed. Amen? Amen? Now, it was a long process. If you remember my testimony, 13 months of intense counseling, and finally, I was able to have an honest conversation with mom, dad, and my brother, and for the first time in my life, I heard mom and dad say, I'm sorry. Wow. That was the first time we ever forgave each other like that. First time there was reconciliation between me and my folks. And I was able to break free from toxic bitterness against Dad. And, you know, quite frankly, the truth is, Jesus is the only one who has the power to break that. Amen? Amen. He's He's the only one. He's the only one who has the power to break me and you free from the chains of addiction, shame, sin, you name it. He's the only one, friends. And so here's Munger. He gives a key to that closet of Jesus, and he says this. With trembling fingers, I, op- I passed the closet key over to Jesus. He took it from my hand, walked to that door, opened it, entered it, took out the putrefying stuff that was rotting there. He threw it all out. And then he cleansed it, painted it, fixed it all up, all in a moment's time. And immediately, a fresh fragrance breeze swept through the house. The whole atmosphere changed. Oh, what a release, friends. What a victory to have that dead thing out of my life. And here's my favorite part. No matter what sin or what pain there might be in my past, Jesus is ready to forgive and heal and make whole. Amen. That's it. Jesus alone has the power to heal, forgive, and to make whole. So let me ask you, does he have access and control over that Closet. Are there hidden areas in your life, friends, where he does not have permission to touch? If not, then what is stopping you from giving him control? Because the word of the Lord says that Jesus shines light into darkness. And friends, where there is light, darkness must flee. Amen? Amen. When you abide in him, when you trust him, you cling to him, there is forgiveness, there is healing, there is wholeness. It's yours. And I'll end with this. After Jesus cleans out his closet, Munger has an epiphany, a breakthrough. He says this, Lord, is there a possibility that you'll be willing to manage my whole house now and operate it just as you did for my closet? Could I give you the responsibility of keeping my heart, what it ought to be, and myself doing what I ought to be doing? Now, of course, Jesus was overjoyed. And this was his response to him. He said, I'd love to. This is exactly what I came to do. You cannot live out the Christian life in your own strength. I'll say it again. You can't live out the Christian life in your own strength. That's impossible. Let me do it for you and through you. That's the only way this is really going to work. That's it. And so Munger says that he signed the deed to his heart. He signed the deed to his life, his house, and he gave it to Jesus. And he said this, daily I need to make sure that the deed of ownership of my life are held firmly in his hands, that my heart might truly be his home. Friends, that is, is abiding in Jesus. That is abiding in Jesus. So friends, when we come before Jesus, this is what abiding is, all right? Go before Him. No masks. No fake mask. No veneer. No hiding. We are before our Maker, just bare Exposed with our brokenness and our crap. Yeah. And we just honestly just make a confession and say, Jesus, I can't do this. Come on now. I can't. I've tried. I really suck at it. Right. I can't do this on my own strength, on my own abilities. I can't be the husband you want me to be to my wife. I can't be the wife you want me to be to my husband. I can't be the dad or the mom or the brother or the son or the friend or the employee that you want me to be on my own strength. I can't. I can't. The best I can do, Jesus, is paint the exterior of my house, maybe trim the hedges, mow the lawn to make it look nice on the outside. But on the inside, my house is a wreck. It's a wreck. I'm clinging to you, Jesus. I'm holding on to you, Jesus. I trust you, man. So here's the key to my house. Here's a deed to my house. Do what you got to do. Do what you got to do, Jesus. Because I know you love me. I know you're with me. I trust you. Do what you got to do, Jesus. You know, friends, over the years that I've been a believer in Jesus Christ, I've never met a single Christian who made that prayer, who made that cry where God didn't answer it. Not once have I ever met a Christian where God didn't answer that cry. And you know what happens? You know what happens when you make that cry out to Jesus and he meets you in that place of brokenness and honesty? This is what happens. Your thoughts start aligning to his thoughts. Your desires start aligning to his desires. You start walking in the light. And all of a sudden, your life changes. There's breakthroughs. Relationships change. Your work changes. Jesus says, when you abide in me, you produce more fruit. You produce more fruit. And Jesus says, in the end of uh, uh, John 15, he says, you'll experience more joy. I like joy. I want more of it. How about you? I like that I want more joy in my life I hate being miserable and here's the best part of it all when we abide in Jesus when we give him the deed to our house at the end of the day when it's all said and done you know who gets all the glory? Him that's right cause deep down inside you know yeah I didn't do that I didn't change my life I didn't renovate the inside of my house this looks really this is a nice open concept Jesus like I couldn't do that that's all you Jesus And when people look at your life, they're like, whoa, Jennifer, you're different. You're not the same person you were a few months ago. What are you doing? What self-help book are you reading, friend? Can you tell me? And then you say, actually, it's this Jesus. And here's the thing, friends, and I'll end with this. This life right here, and please receive this with love. Love. If you refuse to abide in Jesus, this life will be a fantasy for you. You hear me? You can't get this. You cannot have this life if you refuse to abide in Jesus. That's a tough word, but it's the truth. However, if you choose to abide in Jesus, this life Is a kingdom reality. This will happen. You may not see it now, it's going to happen if you abide in Jesus. So, would you stand with me before we close? Is there any area of your life right now where he does not have access and control? Friends, please, please. Is there any area of your life today where he does not have permission to go in and to change, to renovate? Is there anything? Do you want to abide in him? Is that the life you want? If your answer is yes, then as a sign of faith, could you just lift up your hands tonight? Could you lift up your hands today? Listen, this is your business with the Lord in the next 30 seconds. And would you just give it to him? Say, Jesus, here's my keys. Here's here's the deed to my house. Give it to him, friends. Give it to him. Would you give it to him? Jesus, we come before you now broken. We confess we cannot do this on our own powers. Apart from you, we can't do anything. And so, Lord, I lift everyone here who's lifting up their hands, and even those who's not. These are your beloved. These are the ones you gave your life on the cross for. Pour out a double portion over your love, over your beloved right now, Jesus. Pour out strength, pour out wisdom. I pray breakthroughs, Lord, as they give their lives to you, breakthrough over their lives. And Lord, as you do, I pray, would you and you alone get all the glory, all the praise, because it's all about you, Jesus. We seal this in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. Church says, amen, amen. Amen. God bless everyone. Have a great day.